Hi, this is Tzvi Freeman for Chabad.org. You may have read some of my articles on the site or seen some of my books. But for now, I want you to just sit back and let me turn your world on its head. Okay, so let's say you're celebrating, rejoicing with friends at a party. And the man who opposes you the most in your greatest life battles turns up at your party. So this was Simcha Store, 1975, Chabad Lubavitch headquarters, 770 Eastern Parkway. Thousands of Lubavitchers packed in tight along with anyone else who wished to witness the most joyous Hakofis, Simcha Torah in the world, the most joyous day of the year. The Gabaim, the esteemed official administrators of the synagogue, were frantically attempting to bring some order to the ceremony while seeking out the contingent that would come every year from the Israeli consulate. That's when they saw Chaim Cohen, and they didn't know what to do. This was just the wrong man at the wrong party. Who was Chaim Cohen? To Israelis, he's still known as one of the major architects of Israeli law, a great man of thought, and as a champion of human rights. Indeed, he, he was in New York for the United Nations General Assembly, representing Israel in the Human Rights Commission. But Chaim Cohen was also known for his fierce opposition to all things religious, especially when they concerned the Israeli state. Cohen came from a family of deeply religious Torah scholars in Lübeck, Germany. In 1929, at the age of 18, Cohen set out for Jerusalem, where he studied under Rabbi Abraham Isaac Cook, who he came to greatly admire, and at the Hebrew University. He returned to Europe to complete his degree in law at the University of Frankfurt, marrying there a young woman who was not interested in religion. After returning to the Holy Land with the rise of the Third Reich in 1933, he gradually turned not just away from, but against Torah Judaism, actively opposing the rabbis, both as an authority of Israeli law and as a member of the Tehillah movement of Israel for Jewish secularism. The Elisha ben Avuya of our generation was the title given to him by Rabbi Tzvi Hudakuk, son and protege of his former mentor. Elisha ben Avuya was a brilliant sage of the Talmud, the teacher of Rabbi Meir, who had turned to heresy. Smoke rose from his grave, the Talmud tells, for well over a hundred years. And that was after the sages prayed for mercy on his soul. Because, the Talmud says, he knew God's greatness and yet rebelled. So eventually Cohen divorced his first wife and traveled to America for a secular marriage to a woman who had been previously married. An act that spurred the fury of rabbis in Israel. By Torah law, a descendant of Aaron, such as Chaim Cohen, is forbidden to marry a divorcee. But perhaps what concerned the Gabbai most was Chaim Cohen's role in the Who is a Jew controversy. This was a topic the Rebbe had addressed incessantly for the previous five years, warning in the strongest language imaginable that compromise on such a core issue posed an existential danger to the Jewish nation. Chaim Cohen, on the other hand, as a justice of the Supreme Court of Israel, stood his ground that Jewishness as the state 
is a social construct, and anyone who personally identifies as a Jew should be embraced by the state as a Jew. The Gabayim who beheld this man standing before them knew well the controversy, indeed the outright condemnation in many quarters that would arise if they gave him any part in the ceremony. Small wonder they stalled. But the Rebbe noted the hesitation of the Gabayim and protested. A Jew wants to take on the yoke of Torah, he chided them, and you won't give it to him. The Rebbe personally purchased the reading of the first verse of the ceremony and said something to a Gabbai who then called out, We hereby honor the illustrious justice of the Supreme Court, Rebbe Chaim Cohen, with the verse, Ataharesa. Chaim Cohen bellowed out his verse loud and proud, and the Rebbe, the Gabbaim, and the crowd of Hasidim echoed him in full chorus. But the episode hadn't yet ended. When the Gabbaim took out the Torah scrolls, the first and the heaviest, the one known as Mashiach Sefer Torah, was headed straight towards Chaim Cohen. Again, the Gabbaim hesitated. This was a very heavy scroll, after all, and Chaim Cohen was no young man. It would make more sense to hand him one of the smaller, lighter scrolls. The Rebbe looked Cohen straight in the eye. He asked, are you ready to accept upon yourself the weight of the yoke of Torah? If you never express, experienced that look, it's difficult to relate. Two sharp blue eyes peer through your flesh down to your bone and deep into your soul. There's nowhere to hide, nothing of you that remains hidden before those eyes. Chaim Cohen answered in the affirmative. The Gabayim relented. When the singing and dancing began, Chaim Cohen was still clutching his Torah, singing and dancing along with the consulate members and Hasidim for a full three quarters of an hour, even as the Rebbe sang and clapped and encouraged the crowd with explosive joy. His eyes never left Chaim Cohen. That night, Cohen returned to his hotel. He returned to Israel, to his post, and to his opinions. Ten years later, he was still writing about who was a Jew without any deflection from his original stance. Now, if you never met the Rebbe, if you didn't know his ways, you might in- misinterpret this story. You might say, the Rebbe was very smart. He knew how to deal with his detractors. He knew that rather than arguing with a Jew, better to befriend him. That way you have a far better chance of enlisting him to your cause, or at least mitigating the gunfire. Too bad it didn't work in this case. But that is not a Rebbe. The proof, in this case, the risk was too big to fake. With utter confidence, the Rebbe declared that this Jew was here for one purpose, to accept the yoke of Torah, and he even took the gamble of publicly asking a man, a man who had fought against Torah for 30 years with no sign of regret, are you ready to accept the yoke of Torah? What if Cohen had said no? And even if he didn't say no, What if he didn't mean what he said? The Rebbe was certainly a stickler when it came to halacha, to Jewish law. How could he permit handing a Torah scroll, a sacred object, a Torah scroll, and nothing holier, to a man known for his fight against things sacred to the Jewish people, and then asking him to lead an entire congregation in prayer? as indeed the Rebbe's critics demanded to know upon hearing the story. 
is this permissible? But the Rebbe didn't see before him an opportunity to win at a game or to gain a new adherent or even to gain some ground. The Rebbe be- saw before him a Jew, and he believed in that Jew. He believed that regardless of everything this Jew had said and done for the past 30 years, a Torah scroll remained for him the most precious, sacred object in the world. And that his innermost, deepest desire was to carry and embrace that Torah. Did it help? Let's say it didn't. That as the first Rebbe of Chabad wrote in his classic work called the Tanya, when you see a Jew who is not doing the right thing, pull that Jew in with thick cords of love. Perhaps he will change his ways, perhaps not. Either way, you fulfilled the mitzvah of loving another Jew. But I believe it did help. You see, years later, a certain Chabadnik befriended a certain Israeli who lived in Manhattan. Before Simchas Torah, he invited him to come to 770 and celebrate with the Rebbe. But the man refused, adamantly. I have a friend, he explained, who went there one year, and it changed his mind about many things. I am not interested in changing my mind about anything. I'm not coming. The friend as you may have guessed, was Chaim Cohen. Outwardly, perhaps at least in the immediate, nothing changed. But then Maimonides writes in his Laws of Repentance that if a Jew has re- regret in the recesses of his heart, even if he remains recalcitrant, his repentance is accepted and his share in the world to come reinstated. And eventually, as Maimonides writes in a famous letter to the Jews of Yemen, this Jew will come to a complete repentance. As the verse goes, return, wayward children, and I will heal your returning. Some people today have lost faith in their fellow Jews. With the conflation of politics and religion and the intensely polarizing pull of social media, some have gone so far to declare that we have become, God forbid, two separate peoples. Such a perception can only arise when your eyes don't see beneath the most external presentation of a Jew. When we judge people by their behavior, by their stated opinions, by their choices at the voting polls that go against our own. But that's not Judaism. Judaism is not an ideology or even a set of practices that determine whether we keep you as a Jew or chuck you out as a stranger. Rather, Judaism is a divine wisdom known as Torah, that when presented in all its authenticity, has the unique capacity to awaken the inner spark of a Jew, thereby connecting all of us together as one people with one Torah and one God. Connect with that other Jew, and you'll see the good that's there. It's likely not so far from the surface. You may even find there's far more you agree upon than you disagree upon. As with Chaim Cohen and the Rebbe. Cohen was a champion of human rights, something I imagine the Rebbe admired in him. He was also known for visiting the prisoners he had sentenced to jail to ensure they were being well treated. If I had my way, he once said, I'd scrap prisons. Interesting enough, the Rebbe said pretty much the same to Justice J.B. Weinstein. So when you see another Jew at your party, 
even if he's not the person you want to see there, even if you think he's a sinner, even if you believe he is actively destroying the most sacred, essential elements of our people, and even even if he voted for the party you most despise, look deeper. Believe in that Jew. As much as you believe in God, believe in that Jew. 